Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. Uh, Thank you for joining us for our second week in a series we're calling Connecting the Dots, how the, uh, the little stories of the Bible tell God's big story and helps us understand our story. We're in week two, and so the story for this week is the story of Abram, who's also called Abraham, uh, in Genesis 12, and starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, him who dishonors you. I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is the story of Abraham. I'm going to hit the highlights of the story of Abraham and flow through a bunch of chapters in the Bible, um, settling in on one story. So this is going to move pretty fast. Uh, Get ready. I'm going to going to lay out 10 lessons from the life of Abraham. I'm not sure I've ever structured a message like this before, but it worked this week, and so I'm going to do that. And in this, we're going to see, uh, we're going to see the story of Abraham, but we're going to see the role that the story of Abraham plays in God's bigger story. And, and within that, I think if you've walked with Jesus for 10 minutes, you're going to see your story, and you're going to learn some things about your story. And if you're if you're just there and you're checking out Jesus and the God of the Bible and trying to figure out, do I want to follow him, you're going to, you're going to learn some things about the character of God and, and what it is to follow him. And so that's where we're headed uh, today. I've talked last week, and, and we're couching this series in terms of story, and stories all follow the same general pattern, that there's a setting to a story, and then there's a stress, something goes wrong in the setting, and then there's a search how are we going to fix that? We find a solution, and then there is a new setting. And last week, uh, we talked about the setting of the Bible and then the stress in the Bible. And the setting in the Bible, and, and it's the setting for you and me, our setting is a relational intimacy with God and, and with each other. In a word, love. Like, we're made for love, and, and that's the main thing that we're made for. And we're made to have a love relationship with God and to be able to love each other well, to, to be loved and to love and the stress comes from our inability to do that. Now, in the setting, there's also work, and there's purpose, and there's meaning, and all those things are found. I think the biggest one is this, this relationship with, with God and with each other. And then there's a stress, and, and the essence of the stress is that um, we have a hard time accepting that God is God and we are not. And so listen to last week to dig into that. I used this quote last week, God is our origin, and because of that, we owe him worship and obedience. But instead, we worship ourselves. We were created to reflect him, but instead, we rival him. And I think there is a, that's a good, pretty good summary of the stress, and, and that leads to problems. We see it last week. We'll see it again this week. It leads to shame. It leads to blame. It leads to anger, to discord, to murder. Um, the story of Noah uh, from, from last week is, I think, God saying, here's what happens when I leave you alone with your sin. You cannot fix this problem. And the world will go to hell in a handbasket in a hurry. And Abram is the start of the, of the search um, so that we can find the, the solution. And we hear echoes of that in each of the stories. So this week we start on search. Uh, how is God going to solve the problem? And lesson number one, God is going to involve us in the solution. God involves us in the solution. So we are a part of God's plan. 
I uh, heard this quote years ago, and it, it just it stunned me. It's from a famous British preacher, preacher named uh, Charles Spurgeon from about 100 years ago. And he said, without him, we can't. Uh, but without him, or without us, he won't. Without him, we can't. Without us, he won't. And I'm still not sure. Like, there are definitely times when God's going to do things without us. But generally, he tends to use us in, in his plan. And so that's what he starts to do with Abraham and what we start to see. Now, this story comes on the heels of a story that I skipped. It's the Tower of Babel. Um, and the Tower of Babel is, is a pretty good, another example of without him, we can't. And, and we figure that out. I'm going to take a minute to, uh, to encourage you to join the reading plan that we have started as a church that goes along with this series. It's the E100 reading plan on version. Uh, there's, we've got 80-some people signed up on that now. It's fantastic. We did it is, is because it goes with the series, but also just it gives us a chance to engage each other. So you put comments each day. You have the opportunity on what you read. And so to wake up every morning and do your reading and then see how other people have commented in that reading is, is fun. It's exciting. And so we encourage you to join that. Uh, if, you, if you have not, no idea what universe, version is or how to join it, go to oakcitychurch.com, our homepage, the series page for Connecting the Dots is right there. Click that, and you'll find a link in there to version. It'll invite you to be a part of the plan for Oak City Church. You can join us in that. So we would really encourage you to do that. Our home groups are meeting, and we had a fantastic discussion this week at our home group about last week's message, and, and I heard that from a couple other home groups too, so we'd encourage you to join those. If, you, if, you don't, if you're not a part of a home group, you want to be a part of a home group, email dan at oakcitychurch.com, and Dan Fitzgerald will get you hooked up, dan at oakcitychurch.com. So we really want you to engage um, through this series. But the Tower of Babel uh, is, was one of the stories this week, and one of the comments uh, that was made, Rebecca made this, she said, it's interesting that it says they built the tower to make a name for themselves so they wouldn't be scattered, but God scattered them anyway. At Babel, the people of the earth come together, uh, and they say, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. And so Rebecca caught this, that they made a name for themselves, and that they didn't want to be dispersed, but God dispersed them anyway. So Rebecca, I'm certifying you with a Bible Geek badge. You are now a Bible Geek because you caught on to something that is this theme, and the stories echo the stories, and it's the theme throughout the Bible. And so one of those is that God calls us to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. He tells Noah the same thing, fill the earth, and here they say, we don't want to fill the earth, and God comes down, they build their tower into the heavens, and God comes down from the heavens because their tower went anywhere near the heavens and pats them on the head, says, neat tower, guys, now get out of here, and disperses them uh, because they're trying to make their name great instead of um, his name great. And here with Abram, what he's doing is saying, you guys, try and make a name for yourselves. Well, I'm going to take a no name, somebody nobody knows anything about, and I'm going to use him to make my name great. And that's exactly what he does. Uh, so here's lesson number two. Your part in his solution is going to involve some element of going. He is always calling his people to go. He is a go God. And there's a problem in that we tend to be a stay people. You know, he tells Noah, be fruitful, multiply, and, or sorry, Adam, fill the earth. When Noah gets off the boat, he says that he repeats the command, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. At Babel, he says, you're not going to stay. You guys are going to go. Get out of here. To Abraham, he says, go to a land I will show you. When the Israelites are in Egypt um, and they cry out for rescue, he says, go to the promised land. And they get out into the desert 
And what we'll see in a few weeks, what they want to do is even though they were slaves in Egypt, they want to go back. They want to stay in Egypt, and that's just kind of how we work. Uh, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations. Um, the church ends up getting stuck in Jerusalem when they're supposed to be going to the end of the earth, and so God has to force them out of Jerusalem with the persecution. We like staying, and you got to recognize that. Like, that's your inclination, but God is going to call you to go, and that doesn't mean going across the world. It doesn't even mean going across the country, but relationally, he is always calling us to go. He's calling us to go and make disciples. He's calling us to go as ambassadors for him, with the message that he's given us. He's calling us to go and to love our neighbors. And so he's calling us to use the talents, the resources, the gifts, the word, like the, his relationship with all the things that he's given us. He's calling us to use those in a way that we wouldn't necessarily choose and to do that for the benefit of his name instead of for the benefit of our name. So he's a going God. Now, lesson three, our understanding, they're, on, they're not all going to go this fast. Our understanding of our part in God's solution is on a need-to-know basis. Our understanding of our part in the solution is that that's a need-to-know basis. And so you, you look back at what he says to Abram, it's pretty vague. Uh, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you, and I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. I'll, you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, him who dishonors you all curse, and in you all the families you be blessed. That's, it all sounds good, but it all sounds vague, and it, like, I want more details before I give up everything and follow him. I had, a, um, I had a buddy a few years ago that I worked with, and he used to say, hey, when you're stressed out, the best thing to do is plan a vacation, and he was absolutely right, and he was a Disney guy, and we ended up going to Disney a few times, and we got on the meal plan. And when you do that, like, you, you end up planning out. Now with fast passes, I bet when you go to Disney, you plan out, like, every, you might plan out every ride. Um, and so you know exactly what you're doing, and you do that months in advance. So whatever you're going through right now, you have something to look forward to, and you know this thing is going to happen, but it's the details that matter. Uh, we're, we're thinking about going to Nicaragua as a family later this year. Uh, because we have, I have a kid going to, I have a kid going to college, and so just as a big last big family hurrah, we're going to go down there, and I will plan out every minute of that trip and look forward to it uh, for months. But just just go, which is a bit of what he's telling him, isn't super appealing to me. You know, the reason that you're excited about a vacation where somebody says, just trust me, is that that person is good at planning vacations, you know, because you don't know what the details are, but you know you trust their character, and that's what Abraham is doing here. And so he says, I'll make you a great nation, which if you're Abraham, and at this point Abraham is 75 years old and has no kids, and his wife is 65 years old and has no kids, and you, you get the sense from the story that she's always wanted kids, and so that's appealing. I'll make you a great nation, which means there has to be a kid in there somewhere. And so you can get that. There's a character named Lot in this story. Lot is Abram's brother's son, so his nephew, but his brother has passed away. So you get the sense that there's some father-son relationship there, but he wants his own kid, and God promises that. He says, I'll bless you. Um, I mean, that's, again, promising, but you, you kind of want to know exactly what that is. I'll make your name great. Uh, Honestly, and I think, this is, I think this is probably more appealing to guys than it is to girls because I think guys are more egotistical than women. Maybe that's sexist in a really weird way. But, but 
He, he promises to make his name great. Like, who doesn't want their name to be great? Um, and then he says, I got your back. Those who bless you, I'll bless. And those who curse you, <laughs> I'll take them out. Like, who doesn't want that? I mean, that's appealing. And then he says, and you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, which honestly, we're like, oh, that'd be great. Okay, but these other things, make my name great. And so that's what he says. Uh, so he's going to involve us in his solution. Our part in his solution is going to involve some element of going our understanding of our part in the solution is on a need-to-know basis, and um, generally God doesn't think you need to know much, <laughs> and so he's not going to tell you much, and if you're going to follow him for more than a minute, uh, you got to get used to that. you got to be okay with the fact um, that he's not going to give you a whole lot of information. I actually did. I was thinking about that, and really just this morning as I was running through the message that... Um, there's probably only a handful of times in my life where I sensed I got a call that was relatively specific in this sense, but one of them was like a get ready to move, and that was it. No details about it, but a get, in one of the weirdest like maybe interactions that me and God have ever had, and that ended up getting me here, you know? But it's a little unsettling when he gives you that general call, but that's, that's pretty much how he works. And I think we get in trouble when we start thinking, we know more than he's given us, and we think we know how it's going to go, and then it doesn't go that way. Because when we think we know how it's going to go and it doesn't go that way, um, then we start, we start playing a blame game, and there's only a few characters to blame. Like, we can blame ourselves and say, we screwed this up, or we can blame God and said he screwed this up, or we can find someone close to us and say, they screwed it up, and that's the reason it didn't go the way that it's supposed to uh, but I think we see in this story and throughout the Bible, he just doesn't give us a lot of details, and he wants us in the dark. He wants us in the dark a little bit. So, lesson five, and here things slow down a little bit, it's our decision to play our part in his plan. It's our decision to play our part in his plan. Uh, we have agency here, uh, like Adam and Eve in the garden. We have a choice. And so, there's there's just a slight amount of tension, but they don't build it out in this story, is will Abraham go? Is he going to do it? And Abraham goes, and Abraham is, is legendary, really. I mean, Abraham is considered the father of, of three religions that comprise, you know, adherents of, of more than half the population of the world right now. He is the father of the, of the Jewish religion and, you know, by extension, the Christian religion and Muslims claim as the father is their religion because he's the father of the Arab people. Uh, and so he's a, he's a legendary, I don't, in the history of, of the world, I don't know how many individual people are more influential than, than Abraham is. And yet, like we're going to go through the story, if you, if you were to grade him on how well he did with his going, I don't know, I think it best to see. I think that's what we're going to see. Like legendary, he goes, but it doesn't go, it doesn't go super well. So to, to skirt through some of this story, God calls him. And he goes to the land that God shows him. Um, and when he gets there, there's people there, which is a little bit of a problem. If you're Abraham, I think you're thinking that there's a land that I can occupy that doesn't already have people, but there's a bunch of people there. Um, I, I, uh, we go to my in-laws every summer, and they're um, in this huge community. And every summer, the, the firehouse does a raffle for a house. They raffle off a house in the neighborhood. So you pay, I don't know, 100 bucks a ticket or something like that, but you get a house at the end of it. This would be like winning that house and getting to that house and finding out there's already a family that's living in that house. It'd be a little disappointing. It'd be like you won the opportunity to be on a reality TV show. Um, 
I mean, those of you that have been around for a while know that we actually did that at one point. Not a reality TV show, but lived in a house with other people. It was great, but it was tough at times. I just don't think it's what Abraham was really expecting, you know. And then he gets there, and there's people there, and then there's a famine. And Abraham doesn't have kids, but he's got this entourage of people that travel with him, and he can't feed anybody because there's no food. So you got to put yourself in, your, in his shoes. If you get there, and there's people there, and God's not airdropping supplies, and you can't get a hold of God to find out what you're supposed to do next, because that happens a lot. God tells you what to do, and it feels fairly specific what the next thing is to do, but you do that, and then you get to a situation where you're not sure what to do, and you'd really like God to tell you what to do, um, but God doesn't always communicate in the ways that we want to. So Abraham gets to the promised land, but then leaves and goes down to Egypt, and so he gets down to Egypt, and apparently his wife Sarah is a looker because he is concerned that the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is going to see his wife and kill him so that he can have his wife. So he tells Sarah, hey, why don't we tell everybody that you're my sister so that Pharaoh won't kill me to get you. He can just have you because he's, you're my sister and do whatever, uh, whatever he wants. That's one of the more weaselly things that happens in the whole Bible, you know? Like every wife right now that is tuned in with her husband in the room has given him a side glance like if you ever did that to me I would kill you men are all pigs and in this case that I mean he is and Pharaoh finds out in the story he finds out that um that Sarah isn't his sister but his wife and Pharaoh's like why did you tell me about that that's sick and like so he just doesn't do as great in this story as you might think he would he has these irrational fears uh, and he acts on the irrational fears, but the irrational fears turn out to be unfounded. Anybody? Anybody? Am I preaching now? <laughs> um, and if you're God, I don't do you get to a point where you think, maybe I picked the wrong guy? Because early in the story, I think you'd be forgiven for doing that. And so he goes back to the promised land, and he has some problems with, with the nephew Lot that I don't think he foresaw. And after a few years, God does show up. And reaffirms the promise to him. And God's going to do this four, five, six times in the story where there's a few-year interlude. And then God shows up again and says, Abraham, we're still on track. But Abraham always has a hard time seeing how the whole thing's going to work out. And in this, this first or second, I guess, interaction with God, he even tells him, like, hey, I don't have an heir and I'm supposed to be a great nation. And my heir is this guy, Eliezer from Damascus. And so what he, you can tell he's really doubting how this thing is going to work out. Now, here's my next lesson in this that we've seen and we're going to see more of. Uh, you are going to screw up your part in God's plan. Uh, you're going to screw up God's part in your, plan, your part in God's plan. I hesitate to say that so emphatically and put it in print, but I think I'm on solid ground. When you look through all the characters of the Bible that God uses— I think there's only one that doesn't screw things up really, really badly, and it's Daniel. I mean, it's Jesus, but Jesus says an asterisk next to his name, you know? And so Daniel is the one that doesn't seem to, and, and we're probably not Daniel. So I think I'm safe in saying this. And, and Abraham does it a bit. So here's a little part of this story that I want to camp out on for just a minute. Genesis chapter 16, Sarai is going to be Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Um, this is a little Bible geek thing, but Hagar in Hebrew literally means immigrant, which is what she was. She came with them from Egypt. So just stick that off to the side somewhere. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord 
has prevented me from bearing children. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Uh, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. That means what you think it means. If you're Abraham, guys really just usually aren't very quick on the uptake, and we're, and we're usually not paying enough attention as we ought to be paying. So if I'm Abraham in this place, I'm like, hey, can you repeat that to me like three or four times and maybe write down what you said? Because I'm not sure I heard you say what I thought I heard you say, but that's what she said. Take my servant Hagar and sleep with her, and then that will be the heir that God's going to fulfill the promise um, with. Woo. So Abram, it says, listen to the voice of Sarai. Uh, so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And listen to that language really carefully because it's kind of a, it's an odd phrasing of it. Uh, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. I'm going to jump out of this story into the bigger story for a second because the stories in the Bible tend to echo the stories in the Bible. And, and so where else have we heard someone take something and give something? And we're in week two of this series, so this is pretty easy to figure out. <laughs> but just last week in the fall in Adam and Eve, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. It's phrased the exact same way, and it's phrased that way on purpose, because we're already seeing history repeat itself. We're in a situation where God told Adam um, what not to do in that case, don't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and Adam passed the command on to Eve, and here Abram's the one that got the promise, and Abram passes the promise on to his wife, Sarah. Uh, Eve is the one that thinks that God is withholding from them the knowledge of good and evil unjustly. And here, just a minute ago, we heard Sarah say, the Lord has prevented me uh, from, having, from having children. In Genesis 3, Eve gives the forbidden fruit to Adam who eats of it, and here the uh, same thing or similar thing happens. And Hagar's the fruit in this, in this passage. And so uh, Sarah makes that suggestion to Abram, and he follows it. And in both passages... Like, it leads to shame, and it leads to blame, and it leads to, you know, all sorts of things. And so, Genesis 16, he went into Hagar, she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Honestly, if I'm Abram in that situation, I feel like I'm on pretty solid ground because I think this was her idea in the first place, but it doesn't excuse what I did. Like, it just creates um, this giant mess, right? Now, I point all those things out, and this goes back to me wanting everybody to have the Bible geek badge that I just gave Rebecca. And I don't, I don't say these things, and I don't point them out so that we can be obnoxious and we can know a lot of Bible trivia. That's not it. I say it so that we can be amazed and continue to be amazed as we go through the story about how hyperlinked this book is and how the story is woven together to communicate things at this deep level. I've been studying this book um, for, for 35 years since I started following Jesus. I've been preaching it for 15 years. 
And probably week by week, I feel like I know less and less and less. And there's more and more and more to learn. But it's because God is bigger than I thought he was. And this pattern, we're going to see it again. You know, they doubt God's word. They start thinking that they've got a good idea. And we do the same thing. We act on it. And then we blame the people around us. And no one takes responsibility for the mess that we end up in. Uh, and, and this serves to reemphasize setting stress search. Like it seems to reemphasize stress that's going to pop up again and again. When Abr- but Abraham said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do with her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Uh, just, we're gonna, God's going to call us into his plan, and we're going to screw th- things up at some point. And we're probably going to screw it up in some, some pretty big ways. And when that happens to us, um, how, how we react to it really matters to ourselves and to the people around us. Like if, if this is us and we're in charge of it, we're putting Abraham on like a six-month performance plan so that we can fire him six months from now. You know what I mean? Uh, but what God's going to do is patiently weave everything that happens back into his bigger plan. And he's going to do that with you and me too. So here's lesson seven. You can't screw up God's plan in a way that will keep him from accomplishing his purposes. You cannot screw it up big enough that he is not bigger than your screw-ups, and he cannot weave those in uh, to what he wants to do. And, and that is the, the grace of God. That is meant to continue pointing us, for us, back to the cross, for Abram, forward to the cross, but that the ultimate solution that we'll see in every story is Jesus, and it's the grace of God to us in Christ where he's forgiven us um, for all the things that we have screwed up. There is a... A line in the Abram story that, that is as important as any other line where it says Abraham, and one of these interactions where God comes to him and says, your, uh, you know, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky or the sands on the seashore, and it says Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's what gave him standing before God was faith. It wasn't performance. It's not because he got everything right, that Abraham is legend and he was righteous before God. It's because he believed in the promises of God and, and kept going. And God is so gracious to everyone in this story. And so I'm going to go through how he's gracious to Hagar, he's gracious to Sarah, and he's gracious to Abraham as the story keeps going. Um, but he shows up, Hagar flees, and it says the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness the spring on the way to Shur, and the angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And so Hagar's a, a pawn in this thing. Like I said, she is kind of the fruit from the, from the story in Genesis chapter 3. She's collateral damage, but God weaves her into the plan. He says, you're going to have a son. You're going to name your son Ishmael. Ishmael in Hebrew, Hebrew means God hears. And so she tells her, name your son something that every day you will be reminded that God heard you when you were in the wilderness. God hears, and that's the grace of God to us. Uh, I'm going to end up skipping through the story here and skip forward a number of years. She has to, before I get back to Sarah and Abraham, but um, Hagar has Ishmael, and they live together uh, for like 13 years as this blended family. And a lot of you have blended families. Like, you know the tension of a blended family. And this is a really weird blended family. And then God shows up again. And he appears to Abram and then to Sarah. But I'm going to start with Sarah and then come back to Abraham. He appears to Abram. And he says to him, where is Sarah, your wife? 
And Abram says she's in the tent, and the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abram and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed uh, to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, uh, shall I have pleasure? This is your Bible, ladies and gentlemen. And the Lord said to Abraham, and this is one of my favorite scenes in the Bible, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And that's one of those, like, you've, you follow the Lord for a while, and, and on paper you know the answer is no, and you've experienced the Lord enough to know, no, nothing's too hard for him. But after 24 years of waiting on a promise, maybe. Seems like it. Uh, at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Remember, Sarah laughed, and then the next line is, Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was, fair enough, afraid. And God said, no, but you did laugh, and that's the end of the scene. She denies laughing. He's like, you did laugh. We all know you laughed, and then he just leaves, like it's okay. Just his grace towards all of us in the midst of the story. And then jumping back to the scene before this where he appears to Abraham, and when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. The ship seems to have sailed on the being blameless, you know? But God just gives us chance after chance after chance after chance after chance. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations, no longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. And that's what the name change does. It goes from one nation to a multitude of nations. After everything that has happened, we're, we're 24 years in to this story. God just does, he doesn't just reiterate the promise here. He doubles down on the promise. Not only will I make you the father of one nation, but multitudes of nations, Abraham. We're still going with this thing. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, uh, that'll be your name. It means queen. I'll bless her, and moreover, I'll give you a son by her. I'll bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And this is the scene that really got me this week. I know we're getting late in my sermon. This is the one that got me. Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old, shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He's 99 years old. He's 24 years into this thing. He's falling on his face and worshiping God. He's, he, he believes this God. He loves this God that he's following. Um. But he, I don't know if he doesn't believe or just has really strong doubts. Because you, you read it, it's right there. Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall my wife, who's 90, really have a kid? And this is hard because God's already said of him, he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. But these seem to be some really serious doubts. Like his hope 
is hanging on by a thread. And then he says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Lesson eight, your power is not the thing that's going to accomplish God's purposes. God's power is. Your hope isn't going to accomplish it. Your faith isn't going to accomplish it. Your obedience isn't going to accomplish it. None of it is. It's God that's going to accomplish his plan. And he's going to use us, but he's the one that's going to, going to get it done. And, I mean, part of his plan is bringing us to a deeper and deeper and deeper understanding of his love for us and his power and our need for him. And in that, it's really reversing what happens in the Garden of Eden. This line from Abraham, just use Ishmael. Just use Ishmael. Uh, what I hear in that is, God, I've made such a mess of this. I passed her off of my, as my sister. I'm going to do that twice. She told me to sleep with Hagar, so I thought, well, I don't know what I'm doing, so maybe she does, but it turned out to be a total mess. And now for 13 years, I've been living in this tension and trying to, to balance this tension between the woman that I love and the woman that I can't love and the son who's Ishmael, who's everything. It's got to be everything to Abraham. And he feels like a man who's at this place of, I can't take anymore. I can't take having any more complications. I can't take having my hopes dashed again. I can't take doubting myself or doubting you. Just use Ishmael. Don't let me screw this up anymore. I'm tired. I'm scared. Really going back to the very beginning of this, I don't want to go anymore. I want to stay right here. Just use Ishmael. This week, in the Bible reading plan, like that day on calling and just reading through some folks and, and what calling leads to them. And so a lot of you have adopted or fostered, and I'm sure you have visions of how that's going to work out and the type of parent you're going to be. And I'm sure you get to places, any parent gets to places where you're like, I am not the parent that I thought I was going to be. Like, is this really what the plan was? Uh, maybe God called you to move and you knew it would be tough, but you didn't know it would be this tough. Maybe God called you to start a ministry or be a ministry or start a church and you just, it just didn't go. Like you had a plan in mind of the way things were going to go and it didn't go the way that you thought it were going to go or just really like any call to obedience in your life that you have to persist in. I feel like we get to places where we can relate to this. Uh, Katie Pritchett put a comment in, in one of these days where she said it's a huge comfort knowing Abram made it to um, Hebrews 11 is much later in the Bible, and Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith because there's all these characters from the Old Testament and their, and their faith towards God. And she said, I grew up in church hearing these hero of faith stories, and through that, uh, and though that is what, I, sorry, hearing these hero of faith stories and thought, that is what I needed to strive for. Uh, but every single person listed in Hebrews is flawed. Their faith faltered. God accomplishes his plan with imperfect people. The weight of perfection falls on Jesus' shoulders, not mine. My role is to trust and obey and confess my mess when I don't. Honestly, I think whoever told me that chapter in Hebrews is a hall of faith should have called it the hall of normal people stepping out in faith but questioning and screwing up along the way, and yet God did, did great things through all of it. <laughs> Of course, that title isn't nearly as catchy. True, but it is, I think, more accurate, Katie. Genesis 21, the 
the Lord visited Sarah, and listen to the language. The Lord visited Sarah as he said he would. The Lord did to Sarah as he promised he would. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him, just like he said. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. What Isaac means? Laughter. <laughs> like this constant reminder of where they were and where they are. And Abram circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days year old as God commanded him. Everything happened the way God said it would. Everything happened the way God said it would. I have two last real quick points in this. Uh, number nine, God's big story is going to get tied up with a bow on it. This is about little stories telling God's big story, and God's big story is going to get tied up with a bow on it. In the end of Revelation, the dwelling place of God will be with man, and we'll see that. Um, Abraham's story doesn't get tied up with a bow on it. Your story might not get tied up with a bow on it, and that's okay. This is some of that language from Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not going, knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Uh, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of the heavens and as innumerable grains as the grains of, of sand on the seashore. These all died in faith. They all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. There's something we got to know, that our story may not get tied up with a bow on it, because that's how stories are supposed to end happily ever after. And eventually it will, but it's not your story. Your story is a part of his story. It's not just your story. And then last point, God will never stop asking you to go. He will never stop asking you to go. Abraham gets this child of promise. He gets Isaac. In Psalm 10, 12, 14 years later, God says, hey, I want you to take uh, your son Isaac up onto Mount Moriah, and I want you to kill him. I want you to sacrifice him to me. It is, it makes zero sense. It makes no sense. I mean, it's a test of Abram's faith, but why? And I was preaching this years ago and preaching angry, like trying to figure out what to say to this and being like, God, this just, why would you do that? How could you ask him for his son? And I felt like in that anger, God said, you know what? Your, your emotion is understandable, fine, good, maybe. But you have to flip that around because this, all the stories echo all the stories, and this is a picture of the solution. This is a father sacrificing his son. And God is, is, was saying, like, do you have that same emotion about Abraham's sacrifice of his son that you do about my sacrifice of my son Jesus on your behalf? Do you recognize the love of the Father for you. And as I've studied that over the years, I've realized that Mount Moriah, where Abraham takes Isaac, is the exact same place where Jesus is sacrificed on the cross. That is no accident. This book will blow your mind. It is amazing. And it is amazing 
because God will blow our minds when we get, as we get closer and closer to him and know him. So would you walk away from this today amazed by who God is and amazed at the love that he has for you? Father, thank you um, that you are a good, gracious God, that you are a father in heaven who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us as the solution to our problems, as the solution in, in this story and in our story, God. I pray that um, out of this story of Abraham, um, we would see your character, uh, we would see your wisdom, we would see your power, we would see your patience, and we would draw near to you, Lord. I pray that those who have been uh, following you for, you know, for long periods of time would find some rest for their souls in Abraham's story. And I pray especially for those that are, just haven't made that decision yet to give their lives to you, uh, that they would be drawn to you through this and that they would see that following you is not, it's not a promise for a life of ease, God, but it's what we're made for. And you were a good God who loves us and who we can trust. We love you and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.